Mad About Denoli on KCLR. Over the years, Ireland has produced some of the sleekest, swiftest, and successful racehorses in the world. They are bred, trained, and ridden by a dedicated bunch of passionate people who bring excitement to all corners of the country. At one time, a Carlo horse was the centre of such excitement. Big, strong horse, but very well put together. Tall, about 16'2", not much white in him, a small bit of white around the fetlock joint and that. We'd call it hardy, dark bay. He sort of looked a little bit like a colt, but... um he was sort of built a bit like a sprinter in a way. A lot of muscle. He had very, very strong hindquarters, great legs. Good, good physical specimen. Yeah. Denoli. 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 This is the story of a racehorse called Denoli. He was a good horse, a great horse. And it's Denoli on the far side being challenged all the time. The story begins with a girl from Michael called Olivia, who just loved horses. I just loved horses as a kid. I just, as a child, oh, pony so mad. Everything was just horses, horses, horses. You'd even watch westerns just to watch horses on television. That's how mad into horses I was, yeah. Her mother Tess loved them too. I wanted to have foals around the farm. I loved foals. I'd say, oh yeah, when are you going to buy the mare? And yeah, oh, I will, I will, I will, I'll ask them for you. The man saying, I will, I will, I will, was Tessa's husband, Olivia's father, Dan O'Neill, who had the gift of the bone setting. As far as I'm concerned, it's a gift from God. It's in the family for generations. As a matter of fact, my father couldn't do it. There was an uncle of mine used to do it. He lived over the road there. And he only one daughter, and she was a nun. Mm. And she went off, when anything happened to him, that was the end of it. And <clears throat> I was the only male O'Neill around the place. And I fell around. He was about three weeks dead and I fell around up from Tolo one evening says, the young ones have to fall and something on her arm. But I was the child that night and I felt something on the wrist there. I said, I think that wrist is out. Well, he says, if it is, you put it back. He says, in you do it and go and do it and don't it down the name. You're the only one left now. And I won't leave here, you try it. And I said, fair enough, you'll play a chance, I'll chance, but don't blame me if it wrong, goes wrong. So I caught the hand, gave it a bit of a twist and a click back in. He said, now can't you do it? And started now. And that was the beginning of it. That's 1960 I started. Since that time, all forms of life, like cats, dogs, sheep, cows and horses, of course, have all limped up to the gates of the O'Neill house to get fixed. Over 20 years ago, Tom Foley, a friend of the family and a dairy farmer, came to the house with a bad back. At that time, he was starting to branch into the horses, so Dan asked his assistance in choosing a horse for Olivia and Tess, and so they made arrangements to meet at the horse sale in Goffs. I met him. He said, they're a decent fit in it. But one horse here said, if he had money, he'd buy him. He says, come down and look at him. So I went down and looked at him. He's only another horse as far as I was concerned. And he was talking for a few minutes and he said, now you want the horse, and if you can get this fellow for 7000 I think you should have him. He walked away then. I walked down there and caught with a vet. I was doing a horse for trainer down there. Every time I'd go down, two or three horses to be looked at. Mm. This fella called me over. He's interested in that fella, Dan. Ah, I said, I think Thomas, that's all right. Not yourself. She says he's not a horse at all. And he, he went out unsold at 5'8 and no one ever went near them. 
We left them surely two hours. And they were just gathering up the things to go home and I went over and asked them what to sell them. He said, that's what they brought them for. He said, you have to make eight. Of course, off from six, you wouldn't hear it. Well, I said, I tell you what, I'll do a divisor, 1,000, 7,000. I said, that's it. He said, no. I said, fair enough. Bring them home and change your mind in a week. Let me know. But I said, that's the price. Rang three or four days after and gave them to me. When I went to look at him in the sales, every time I went to him, he was lying flat out in the house and asleep. <laughs> so, uh, a kind of, at that stage, we were wondering, was he a horse that was uh, a kind of looking for a good time or... Uh, uh, would he ever make a race horse? Yeah. But it still didn't put us off in anyhow, and uh, we bought him. It was like a dream come true that I actually could have a race horse and go and race. Him. I didn't mind really. Uh, we had a race horse. <laughs> <laughs> the horse was bred from the Parson and Blaze Gold at Austin's in Clock Jordan, and he arrived almost reluctantly to the O'Neill household. Oh, he was a mad hatter. He came here. I went for him, actually. Um, where was it? Clock Jordan. We weren't back until around 11 o'clock at night. And um, they, they couldn't get him into the house anyway. And they had to go over to Tom Foley and bring him. We weren't able to manage him. And he came back here and, and he used to go in and out with the cows. <laughs> yeah, and he'd have to cross the road. Holy Moses, if we had known how good he was, we wouldn't have been chancing him across the road. That's all we had him then. We never got him after that. He was too good. Tom Foy's died, we'd let something happen to him. From the minute he was broken, he he done a, you know, really showed up that he had, it was a racehorse. We used to bring him up now to Jim Bulger's and work him up there. But in the wind up, uh, we had very few horses that had go up with him because he made it too hard for him. He used to make them work harder than they wanted to do it. And uh, you couldn't bring up the one horse very often because uh, he'd, he'd put them to their drills very, very quick. And so it came to pass that the horse initially ignored at the auction in Goffs started to become interesting to the horse racing fraternity. I think he knew himself he was pretty good. I was in Fords one day before he race, and uh, Tom said he could sell that horse now. He said, uh, you get double your money, I could get 15,000 for him. And uh, 15,000, and I never rated 8,000 pound profit in a few months. And I came back and told him. The wife said, you do no such thing, she says. You want something to get, get you going, she says. So <laughs> won't sell him. She says, when he wins an odd race and pays his way, that's all you want, don't you? He did more than that. <laughs> he won his first race in Nace, the Philip A. McCartan Memorial, on the 31st of October 1992. The talk always when you're in the Sabre Yard is what's going to win and what's going to win. But there were so many going to win the bumper, we decided, well, we had very little chance. A2 was his favourite that day. Brother-in-law, my wife, three was in the prayer ring and they were coming out. Seamus, his, his brother-in-law said, God, he said, we never backed him. And there was this, here, quick, we put a bet on. So Mammy, Daddy, Uncle Seamus and myself, and they were all giving me a tenner to put on the horse, right, and go to the tote or go to the bookies, wherever, like. And Mammy then drives me back here and put a tenner on the tours. And I said, I will not, you're not backing against our horse. And she goes, go on, put a tenner on the tours. And I was like, no, I'm not. How much do you think we got? How much? 
£637 for 15 euro each way. You've 27 21 on the tote. You've 17 to 1 on the bookies. <laughs> <laughs> so we forgot about actually the bet. We did actually forget about the bet, we were so delighted. Yeah, and then here the one started in the tote. <laughs> I was like, God, this, could, <laughs> this actually couldn't be for me. And she kept going and going. And I was like, God, am I this not mine? And then she goes, Well done. And she handed me back this wallet. And I didn't even know what she told me it was. And then I went back to my and she says, How much did you get? And I was like, Open your bag quick. I have a quite a lot of money. And she was like, yeah. Oh, it was a great day that day. Oh, sure, it was a great thrill. It was exciting and that, and I know Danny was very excited because it was his first runner and first winner. Mm-hmm. And he came into the arena and uh, he um, he was as white as a ghost at the time and he just walked up to me and he said, the horse is not for sale. And even that day, we were offered 30000 for the horse. Tom and Dan had to put up the not-for-sale sign regularly during Danoli's career. They loved him, and he loved racing, and he loved them loving him racing. He loved racing. Oh, he loved racing, yeah. I'm sure he loved racing, yeah. He got to the stage, he knew there was an awful lot of people going to see him, and he loved getting to the parade ring. He won very hard to hold him, and if he was second or third, he'd just walk in. Really? An extraordinary horse, yeah. So. <laughs> When to be a clap and that he knew that he was at the back of it, that it meant that much to him as well. No badness or nothing in him now. He'd he'd go into your house and he'd he'd always be there looking for feeding, no matter much feeding you give him, he'd eat it all and look for more. Really? And he wouldn't leave you in the bed in the morning, he'd be rapping on the door looking for his feed first thing in the morning. At this stage, Danoli was doing really well on the racetrack and Tom Foley and the O'Neill family had got used to his winning ways. So he won his first five races and the sixth one he came toward. Yeah. Yeah. He was sick. The lad behind us, Winter Bell, Prendergast horse won it. Winter Bell, yeah. Winter Bell won it and your man behind us, there's the great horse now, Danoli. Didn't we tell you? <laughs> this lad. Didn't we tell you he could be beaten, didn't we? Of course, we were so defensive of poor Denoli. I said, that wasn't a race at all. It was no pace. We, it was a sprint. We cried. <laughs> we really cried. Yeah. Cried hard. Yeah. And the neighbours came over, Nolans and them came over. And look, at, he'll win many a race still. Don't worry about him. And indeed he did. He was indeed the talk of the totes. And the races were getting mapped out for him in advance. I remember the first year we were... Uh, after winning our three bumpers and we were kind of deciding whether we'd go for the bumper in Cheltenham and that. And Danny said to me, he says, if he was your horse, what would you do? Mm. Well, I said, there's a bumper in Punchestown. And I said, I'd go for that. The horse was home and in his stable that night. He was going on his holidays after that. And I said, he'd be going out and enjoying himself well. So... We went for the bumper in Punchestown and he won at 15, 20 lengths or something that day and there was a lot of talk for a couple of different horses in it but he won it very, very easy. Mm -hmm. And I remember that day and we coming out along back into the parade ring and heading back out along for the stable and all and Ned said, you don't deserve a horse like him when you wouldn't go to Cheltenham. And I just said to him, well, I said, there's many a horses that after going to Cheltenham in the bumpers and never were to hell of after. It's a hard race. And they're young horses. And I said, this fellow will be out in the field tomorrow. I said, he'll enjoy life 
and will happen for the following year. The Cheltenham Festival is a place that trainers dream to have a horse good enough to compete in, and it's a jockey's fantasy to win there. Donoli had competed in eight races before his appearance at Cheltenham and had won six of them. He was set for the festival with jockey Charlie Swan on his back. He was a lovely horse. He had a good, he had very good stride, um, very good action, very um, free going. Like he liked to get on with his job, a bit impatient. He's very clear in the wind, Donoli, which is the main thing for for a racehorse if they're clear in the wind. You couldn't hear a thing. You know, he'd never make a noise or anything. Very, very tough. You know, he'd never know when he was beat. He would always idle in front. But when he'd feel a horse coming, he'd he'd pick up and go again. And um, he was just a very, very tough, genuine horse. He, he didn't have the, the big name when I first started riding him. I won a maiden hurdle on him. And um, he just got better and better. He finished second in the Irish champion hurdle when he was a novice. And not too many novices would go that route running the Irish champion hurdle. Then he went and won a grade one at, at Leopardstown in February, about six weeks before Cheltenham. And I suppose I was after telling everybody that he was my banker for the meeting. And of course, I probably put more pressure on myself then because he was the Irish banker. Charlie Swan wasn't the only one nervous about Danoli's big day out in Cheltenham. Tom Foley, his trainer, was a bit addled about it too. Very, very nervous about when we were going to fly into Cheltenham, what way he'd behave and all in it. Because he he wasn't always, say, the easiest in the world in a box. He could just get a little bit worked up and that and all. And it made me nervous whether he travelled well in a plane or not. So um, he walked up into the plane and you think he was ahead all his life. Now, right, the first time we went, I think it was 21 or two horses was on the plane that day. Right. And he fit in with him and all, but he got top priority that time uh, they asked me where I wanted them to go and that and uh, I was quite happy because there's a little place on the plane where the people that's looking after the horses can stand in and all right. and uh, I said that's where I want them where we could stand beside them the whole way travelling over and that and he was quite contented it was my first time either and uh, um, I didn't think about because I was worried about him. You know, the, the English really got to that, like, yeah. you know, and Tom yeah. never been to England as well, or never on a plane. And then when he went to England, he was sick on the plane going over and everything, like... No, I don't know only he's a man, he went in the head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Big cut across here. Well, the English were lovely to us. Yeah. They really and Cheltenham was lovely as well. They, they were, were lovely, yeah. yeah, they were. They were, they were very they good, were yeah. Very good. They were very good. Going into the race, it was a fair bit of pressure. You know. <laughs> I won't deny that there was a lot of pressure, but um, it was great to, to get to get the leg over and almost like him. And Donoli is favourite, but drifting at 15 to eight. Then they go eight to one. Brief Gale, twelve Carouge, Dorrance Pride, and Morcelli, fourteen to one. Pondering, sixteen man to man, and Cockhardy. We affair. were pretty nervous that time because. Uh, uh, there were six races gone. Ireland was after winning no race that day. And uh, we were in the Hunter's Rest that night in Cheltenham and I remember the television going and uh, they said that uh, about uh, the races and they said Ireland no winner but they have the Noli tomorrow. And I tell you, we started thinking then 
in it because it was that was the first time we felt pressure. That's it. That away. And racing towards the first lane. Watching the race, and I my eyes shut. I could not watch him. And my brother was beside me, and he said at one stage, God, he hit that one hard. That's good now. He won't hit the next one, you'll find. The first disputing it with Danoli right up there with him as well in fourth. Danoli fourth, and just uh, in behind them is uh, Cocardi Affair as they come to the next. Well, I remember on the day, you'd never usually hear the crowd when you're, when you're racing because you'd be concentrating that much. I remember about six furlongs out when I was on the top of the hill. I just suddenly heard this roar from the crowd. It was quite shocking, actually. It was just... I've never heard it before. Donoli hit the front at that flight. And it's Donoli from What A Question. There's a great roar from the crowd as uh, the course commentator announced uh, Donoli having hit the front. Gears went back and he opened his mouth and he was going to, to fight it out up the hill. Donoli on the far side being challenged all the time by Doran's Pride and Carouge coming there on the stand side. Donoli lands on the lead, Doran's Pride to follow. It's Donoli on the far side, Carouge on the near side. Donoli from Carouge as they race up towards the line. Donoli being challenged all the time by Carouge. Donoli's going to strike the first blow for Ireland. Donoli's won the center line's novices. Carouge is second more relief than enjoyment because there was so much pressure on you know and um, obviously I enjoyed it as well but there was a fair bit of pressure I suppose then I was lucky later on the day it made me relaxed I actually rode three winners that day so it gave me definitely gave me a big boost anyway when he crossed the line because whatever angle I was at you can't still believe that he won and I was like did he win did he win did he win and then there was just a mad rush and you were actually brought with the crowd and then the job was to try and get back into the parade ring with the horse because everyone was like, yeah. it was like a stampede now, that's the truth. And it kind of, you know, me still wondering, did he win, did he win? And I was like, God, he must have won because everyone was just going. And because the Irish had them all backed and yeah. then the reception he got when he came into the really And it's only when you actually look back on the videos that you watch and you'd see, oh my God, all that happened. Oh, it's a fantastic feeling. You know, you, you, everybody's shouting and... You know, you're coming in from Cheltenham, you're coming down that, that um, walkway and you, you see people that you haven't met for years come out of the woodwork and saying well done to you. It's just, you know, it's a great feeling. I remember that day in Cheltenham and uh, this lad came over to me after and he says, uh, the Queen Mother wants to talk to you. And at that time, I didn't care whether it was the Pope or who was it meant not to be. I was on a high and that was it. But I went up anyhow, they brought me up and there was an awful lot of security and that up along and they brought me into this room and the Queen Mother was there and we talked away. Now, I have no idea what we talked about or anything and uh, I know she was enjoying it anyhow that day, but... We came back anyhow, and I don't know who I met, and he says, you know, he says, you're not supposed to ask the Queen Mother anything, like you're only supposed to answer whatever she says. Well, by God, I said, I didn't do it that way. I said, I talked, I said, the way I said, same as we were doing all the right time. Some of the security lads in that day, right, and whatever we were talking, whatever we said, I know they were laughing to their hearts content. And that was the way it was. I never, I, I just 
didn't it just took it one day at a time and it made no difference to me who it was I was as happy as could be at that stage and now we have Danoli the press reported that the reception given to Danoli that day would have done credit to Arkel himself. Understandably, since he was the subject of one of the biggest gambles ever recorded for the Royal Sun Alliance race. He had captured the hearts of the people. He was the people's champion. There did an awful lot of people take to him because probably in... Um, the length of time that I know of Cheltenham anyhow everywhere was closed down on the day he was running in Cheltenham the, even the cattle marts was stopped for the hour when done, they all had the televisions yoked up a lot of the schools in that and there was a good few of the schools uh, was closed up for the day in that but they all had the televisions in the schools and all and they were they were let go and yeah. even uh, the the priests and all uh, used to bless him and they were talking about him and all. Uh, Father Down was the parish priest in Bagnestown now. He blessed him. Well, we used to get Lester V or that time and he used to come out and uh, do it. But the bishop came out as well. But uh, he it was the year that, uh, the second year that he was going to Cheltenham. So his blessing wasn't as good as Father Down's. He got fit the day that the bishop blessed him. That's what. <laughs> They say the ground was very hard that day for the 2.55pm Martel Aintree hurdle on the 8th of April 1995. It was only when I went to pull him up that I felt him going lame. I knew when he was coming in from the track into the, into the saddle enclosure that there was something serious wrong with him. He was being really tough in the race. He had to fight hard to win. I thought I'd never get the boot off of him. We only set a second in the parade ring and we got him back up to the veterinary box. And when we took the boot off, his tendon was perfect, but the fetlock joint was swelling up as big as could be. He probably, if he had to go another 25 yards, leg of the boot. He stayed going and his leg broke and he, he won it. It was really tough to do what he did. That was the last time I ever rode him actually. We got a police escort the whole way in it now, which that wouldn't happen here. And all the, the roads was closed, stopped. There was policemen going in front. They stopped all the traffic. We got a right away the whole way. You yeah. couldn't believe now we were travelling with the horse that day and I just couldn't believe it. But they had the alarm on the the the, the horse ambulance the same as the wood on uh, said for people here. And everyone stands back and they give you the right away. We were only a, a, a half an hour probably getting to the vet yeah. And the vets were there, they drove up right to the very door and they had the x-ray machine everything. The horse just barely hopped down five or six foot and they had the x-ray machine that there, they had a mix ray and they had him in a plaster parish in a matter of 10 minutes. 
She would hope we'd never race again. But the same horse's leg won't sit. The Denali story is a lot more than what he did like. It's having got injured and then having the resources to come back. That's where the fairy tale for me starts. To come back from being pinned, a near fatal injury that he got and to be as good as he was afterwards. To me, that's what defied him to be the champion and the, the hardy horse that he was. I really think if he was here in Ireland, he wouldn't have had survived. Chris Riggs was his name, he was the vet, and he was unbelievable the way he looked after that horse. And he had an operation and he had, I don't know how many screws put in into the leg, but there was all the bone was shattered and they had to take out an awful lot of bits and that in it. Now, he was in it from April until June, over there. And we went over a couple of times to see him, but Chris Reed said that nobody take out the horse or nothing. And the reporters over there sat at the gate looking to get in to take photographs and talk to people now, but there was no one to hear. She pretended like it was like someone in the family, it was like someone was dying because we got mass cards and letters, <laughs> honestly. And you should see the pictures from Liverpool. They sent us over pictures and everything. They were vet, Chris Riggs. They came over here and everything. They were really good. And the whole around his whole stable was all these get well wishes from English and Irish people. And we even got letters here just then only. A couple of months after he flew over in a small plane to Kilkenny and came up to see the horse. Mm. He put a lot into him. Uh, well, I think he knew the horse that he was and... Uh, there was going to get a lot of coverage in that mm. and I think only for him the horse would never have come back to race because he said to me after when we started the horse back he said really he says I only done him for to be a pet 7 to 1 but Denoli wasn't the sort of horse who would be content in just being a pet Tommy Tracy's a local Carlo jockey and had been involved in the horses since he was a young fellow he would have helped school Denoli and was on Denoli's back for his first race after injury. I worked in Denny Cardell Laverack's mm. and Denny's was two minutes from Tom's. And Tom got injured, um, he, he broke his leg and I start, uh, we start helping him at dinner time. And go down and riding out with him and I schooled Denoli, jumped him over hurdles and sat in him a few times. I'd say I've never rode a tougher horse in my life and I, and I think that's what, defied him from the rest uh, the other horses that he raced again his first run back was the Irish champion hurl it happened in April and uh, the Irish champion hurl wouldn't have been I think until January and that was his first run back and that day we we never jumped them from the time it happened in Liverpool we were afraid to and uh, we were went up to the Irish champion hurling in, in uh, Leperstown and uh, I remember him we lead him up along I just said we'll bring him down and we'll show him the hurl just that so he'll remember it so we got uh, say halfway from where we were down to the hurl and he decided he wanted to get to the parade ring and off we took Woodis and on to the parade ring so we said that day Tommy Tracy rode him that day and I said no 
don't hit him, I said. The horse is not to be hit, matter what. I said, let him run whatever way he wants. I said, I just want him to enjoy himself today. Mm. And uh, we got beat by a short head and a head. We could have won it if we had to go out and run him, mm. like what we usually do. So we were all a kind of sore relieved that he was back. It was like he won because he was back. The relief and joy of the O'Neill family and Tom Foley was immense. Their sun, moon and stars was back. But Donoli's leg was always giving him jip and it would be painful and sore after a hard race. I remember him, we getting him ready for the, the Hennessy. Um, the horse would get out there and he'd go down and he'd work but he'd come back up to the stable and it'd be very sore for the day after. Donoli had spent the first year of his successful racing career running in the bumpers. He then progressed to racing over hurdles until 1996 after recovering from injury when he began a career in steeplechasing. His first major success in this event was winning the Denny Gold medal chase. He was then set for the prestigious Hennessy Gold Cup. All these competitive graded races are tough. Jesus, the Hennessy Gold Cup is, it's mega in Ireland, it's, sure, it's a Gold Cup. Number two, Dinelli, Tommy Tracy. Number three, Idiot Spencer. There was four Gold Cup horses in at that time. And we had very little chance of beating the Todd anyhow. But we went out and we got out to make it. Well, not exactly to make it, but be up there. And last year's Gold Cup winner, Imperial, called the favourite here at even money. Jadami, three times a previous winner of this race, nine to two. Denoli is six from seven. Even thinking about it, and it's a, it's a, it's a while ago now. I can I can remember fence by fence. On the way in the Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup, and Denoli goes into the lead from the Grey Monk as they come to the first of these seventeen fences. He led. We were a kind of joint leader the whole way through. And then he made a mistake. And as Cardin, as one died away, another came up and took us on then. The adventure and King of the Gales as they come to the first of the ditches. Donoli, about half a length up, Mary Gale He was just so tough. And when when horses thought they had him bet, he'd eyeball them. Little things just to fight him. He was, he was like, like Rocky Balboa in the boxing ring. He was never bet. He'd die, he'd die for you, and he'd guts to burn, he'd, he'd, he'd a heart as big as an elephant. They've seven fences to jump now, and Denoli back upsides the Grey Monk, two lengths away, Mary Gale. Denoli and the Grey Monk from Mary Gale, Imperial Calls and Fort. When, when something came to take it off me, I could turn the gear and say, come on, because I, I knew that the last thing he'd do was give up. Denoli and the Grey Monk together. You'd burn off horses with him. Donoli and the Grey Monk's on the floor and the Grey Monk's a faller. And then a horse fell beside him and... The sprinter might be faster for a little while but the long distance runner could run at a pace for so long and Donoli was no different. Then Imperial Call out jumped him and... Four lengths away, Jadami, Belmont King. If something was there and you didn't want it there anymore, you could just drop him down the gear like a fast car. It's like everyone in the race took a turn at taking him on and he kind of saw him on off. 
Behind Jadami comes Mary Gale as they go towards the final ditch. Three from home in the Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup and Denoli. Half a length in front of Imperial Call and there eight, nine lengths in front of Jadami. At the final ditch now and it's Denoli the leader over from Imperial Call. They're cleared of Jadami. Mary Gale in fourth, a long way back to Belmont King who's being pulled up as they run towards the second last in the Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup. It's like any any man going to work. If if you have the right tool, it makes things a lot easier. At the second last in the Hennessy, Denoli and Imperial call together. Denoli lands just in front. Imperial call in second and starting the run now into the straight. Denoli the leader, going on three four lengths clear of Imperial call. Jadami's not out of it yet. Staying on in third and they're a long way clear. Of Mary Gale as they race towards kept closing and closing and you were nearly were like trying to push the line back to him like come on because he was just he was closing on him but he held him like he was he was never going to pass him as Tom Tracy said he was never going to pass him. Big challenge on the near side at the final fence Denoli and Jadami Denoli over in front Jadami in second Imperial call back in third and under one in Denoli over on the rail Jadami on the near side and racing into the closing stages Denoli and Tommy Tracy from Jadami and Norman Williamson they're clear of Imperial call and racing up to the line Denoli getting a huge reception as they go to the line, Denali, Jadami's still coming, but Denali's holding him as they go to the line. Denali wins the Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup. Tommy Tracy punches the air with delight. Second Jadami, a long way back to Imperial Call. To see the, the people when he came in after the Hennessy, to see the people, what were there and the clapping, there wasn't standing room in the parade ring. I'll never, in my career, witness anything like what I witnessed when I came back into the parade ring after winning. The, the support from the public, the roar he got and the cheers we got on the day coming in. Um, I'll never, ever, or, or I don't think anyone, you have to, you'd have to be there, but it, even now, and it's, it's a long time ago, it's 97, it's, it still puts the hair standing on the back of my neck. And I'm so lucky that I had him. I think that was actually the best race he ever ran. Oh, it was. Yeah, even better than, than uh, though I know it was great to win in Cheltenham, but definitely after the broken leg, the Hennessy, and it was one of the best Hennessys, and they have said that there was ever run. In fairness to Tom Foley, he got the horse back to, yeah, because he put some work into the horse, he did, and had to, to get him back and to run in a grade one, like, you know, and to win it as well. <laughs> It was the people that actually made the horse because, you know, it really was. Like, they just took to him and that was it. Like, he wasn't our horse, he was everyone's horse, really. Sure, lad led in the horse, but didn't even know who led him in. We still don't know, watching him on the video. This lad is actually leading him in. Do you know on the yeah, video there is? We still don't know who he is. We still don't know who he is, like, leading him in. And he's smiling like you think he actually he was, was the owner. from Galway, Daddy. Do you remember him? He used to always come over to us, you know. And this, he was really small. And he was a lovely man. But I had a hat on me that day, now, believe it or not. And when he won, I just threw the hat up in the air. And the little man from Galway came and we were <laughs> with my hat. I didn't care if I never got it. <laughs> Racing delirium as Denoli has the call, wrote the journalists. A reception that would have disturbed the seismologists. Denoli was a celebrity. Parties were organised in his honour and he was invited to open shops and show his face at community events. The, the people in Moishal are, when they, they decide to do something, to do it very, very well. But they had a, had a 
big parade that day and they had a lorry and the everyone get up on it and uh, it was very very exciting Roca's organised that now and fairness to them um, that was another great night Brian by, on a trailer a big huge trailer and they had the priests and uh, a lad from Tolo he used to do impressions of the commentary of the race so you could he he'd actually did that that night as well so mm. the village was packed the whole street was just full and then a night in Michel then after that and um, I'd say it was the only time we had a party in this house that we didn't get in trouble for <laughs> He were, you go up and go into first mass, and there's still people here <laughs> partying. The county council here, they gave him a do as well. There wasn't too many things now that he didn't get. <laughs> and he won the top champion hurler in Europe that year, you know. We had to go over to England to receive that. And he probably was the only horse ever was in... Uh, RTE uh, in, at the Late Late Show and walked in and in around where Gabe Byrne was. He was a queer kind of a horse because in Carlo they were opening up one of the big uh, stores in there and that's you no know, would we bring him in mm. and they wouldn't be satisfied unless we brought him in and walked him around in it. And he went in and he walked around in the store the very same as if it was going out into a field of grass. <laughs> and the same in, in RT, when the late, late show, he walked around in it, not a bother, wondering what was the next thing for him. <laughs> he seemed to take to everything that was going. He went everywhere. He went to, well, we went to Longford with him. We went off down Cork. We could have been on the road all the time with him if we wanted to. He ran in seven races after his glorious victory in the Hennessy in 1997. He fell twice, unseated Tommy Tracy once, but was never out of the top three in the other races. However, his owner and trainer were becoming concerned about his leg. Well, he was 12 years of age and we thought he was after doing enough. He certainly did more than his share. The leg was coming against him and he was getting... We were afraid he'd have to be put down. And we didn't want that, didn't yeah. want him hurt we on the track. We didn't want that to no. happen. If he had to be put down on a track, well, we'd never forgive ourselves and the chances the public would never forgive us either. And I didn't want that to happen. If he went out and was only in a field and coming back in the stable and all, I don't think he'd have enjoyed life at all. And so, with his best interests at heart, Denoli was set to live out his retirement at the salubrious environment of the Irish National Stud in Kildare. There's one of our tours there now. We have a tour guide system going on here all summer long. It's great. And that's it? where Denali and Vintage Crap and the boys all loved it. Yeah. It's because of these groups of people like these would be going around all day long. You know, the foreigners, the Americans and the Canadians and all those people and they're, they're mad into their horses and sure they'd be giving them carrots over the fence. And they, yeah. People that never would have got to see him yeah. in the flesh got to yeah. see him, which was a nice too for them. And like and school children from Dublin and that. It was great. Even right? children from around here. Yeah. You're going on school tours yeah. of the same. There was always people in around there and in the wintertime they were brought in and out with the stable and all and the, the staff up there looked after them very, very well. Mm. You know, they, they did think a lot of them. Uh, he arrived here, him and vintage crap came around the same time they were the pioneers of the retired racehorses coming here to stay in the national stud and they love it here because they're out in the paddocks most of the day and on the summertime they're out all day and night 
coming into sort of springtime there, we would put a little light rug on them or a pyjamas type thing like that. So it's a really good hotel for them. Paul Hughes looked after the old age pensioners at the National Stud. And it soon became clear that their two residents at that time, Denoli and Melbourne Cup winner Vintage Crop, had become firm friends. Said there's the field that we're in now. That's the this field. The field that's, that's the, the field that the two lads were in now for most of my time with them. And if I wanted to take either one of them in there now to show somebody, I might take them out as far as just here behind us. But as you can see there, they'd always be in sight of each other. Like So yeah. that wouldn't be a problem. But now if I tried to take one of them way up the avenue and left one behind, I'm not so sure whether who'd have the most trouble. Like the guy behind be a two-way thing like you know what I mean like I might have, I might have difficulty bringing the guy up the avenue indeed he might have might want to go up at all and then I'd have the other fella maybe in the field here running around shouting and roaring and crying and wanting another so yeah they spent their whole time together the two of them were inseparable even the, the toys like the, if it's they, that time they used to bring around just different places to shows and things like that and vintage coppers go flat harsh you know and have to bring Denoli with them and if it's on the, on the other way if that's Denoli in place I'd bring vintage crop with them two horses were inseparable you still have the one trough I brought Denoli to Bagnellstown in Carlo one year for the there was a flower weekend festival down there he paraded up the town and that I also brought vintage crop to Leopardstown to a another daffodil there something like that and the Nolly would go with him so they sort of followed each other around the country uh, as as companions because they're sharing the same paddock all the time and it's not fair to bring one without the other when you'll be doing your thing with the Nolly, he did it better as in say walking up the road if he he didn't have to have your the other lad walking along beside him but he'd be in we'd always keep him a nice shot yeah. or he'd have a little peep now and again to see could he see him and once he's seen him he was difficult to hard, heavy horse to handle and all that. Would he be less likely to be like that once the other guy was with him? To get to depend on each other, I suppose, too, because they're elderly, you like, and they probably seek comfort from each other. Morning. Very good. Good morning. Good eye. How are you going? Tom Foley and the O'Neill family came regularly to the National Stud to visit their old pal Denoli. We were told any time we wanted, we just could walk up and in and go see him. So we seen him pretty often. And for a while, Tom helped out with bringing him places. I remember one day we had to go down Cork with him and I said to the lads in the Ashton, I'd collect him and I'd bring him down the night before, you know, to have it handier for it to go mm. the next day. We brought him home that night and the next day we were going out to saddle up horses and the minute he seen the saddle he lost his head thought he was back in working again and he went mad so he went back to the Nash stood the next day and he never settled in he wouldn't eat or nothing so they wouldn't hesitate bring him anymore it upset him too much he really wanted to get back to go racing again and he loved it these five here here. Yes. Yeah. During the winter times, when they're paddocked out here in front of us, this would be their housing here, like. Okay. Here was the knowledge. That's where he spent his time in there now, down in this yard. He was in number one. Yeah. And beef for salmon is here now. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Someday you might be coming down here, unfortunately, and something else will be in there, you know. 
On the 26th of April 2006, Danoli, aged 18, contracted a severe bout of colic. We were all around them, yeah, sure, I mean, our, our vets were with them and we, we knew uh, you're, you're, you're depending on the vets then and sure, it's a waiting game then and unfortunately with horses at that sort of age, the, the mortality rate is, is high, you know. Yeah, they rang here and said he called and they were bringing him to the hospital. And um, then they rang back and said they had to have to put him down. Yeah, the vet said it could be nothing done for him. Yeah. Oh, that killed, that was really bad news. No? Mm-hmm. But sure. I was in Donegal playing Camogie with Seth and Trassel at the Pan Celtic Festival. And actually, oh my God, it was like. And everyone was we're out that night, and everyone was asking, "What's wrong with you?" And I couldn't say it because I knew if I said it, I'd just burst out crying. And then eventually, I said it. So it was, it was like one of the family did. Like, you know, it was. I know, like, it was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. They rang me here at four o'clock, and I got into the car and I went up. And by the time I was up, he was dead. Danoli is dead seven years now, but his exploits on the racecourse still provide inspiration and delight to his jockeys like Charlie Swan and Tommy Tracy. To me, as a jockey, to come across one in a lifetime, yeah. to be lucky enough, I was lucky enough to be associated with, with, with very good horses and, and I've ridden Australia and all over the world, France and everywhere. And to be lucky enough to, to get him at such a young, young age, and to be part of the, the, the story of the Denali yeah. is, is it's brilliant, you know. Well, he's definitely up there with the best. So I obviously rode Istabrak as well, you know. But to know, you'd, you know, you'd have to say that he was definitely up on my, my top my top three horses anyway. It's always sad when you lose, you know, such a great horse. But, um, you know, it happens to us, it happens to us all, unfortunately. It, it's life, be it human or be it equine or be it... You know, you never know, but he he had a great life, and it's it's probably eerie and stupid, but it's my belief someday I'll sit in him again. I I, I yeah, I'm a firm believer. And would you be thinking about him often? Yes, I do, especially the bad days, or if if things are not going well race wise, I'd I'd often stick him on and watch him. Yeah, mm-hmm. even even thinking about him now, it it, it sometimes it hurts to know like there's such a good. Jesus, he he had a great racing career, and when he's gone, to miss him so much, it's hard to. He, I had a great infinity with him. Up in the national stud, his old pal Vintage Crop was given special minding after his death. When the Nolly passed away, you had to keep your eye on Vintage Crop, then hadn't you, to make sure like that he wasn't going around fretting a bit or that like. So you tried to get something else. We have a mayor in with them all now. Uh, Tudor Loom is her name we call her a nanny mare she's a mare that's retired from breeding we owned her so she's living on the farm here so she's handy for filling the gap if you like it's all about company like at that later stage of their life it's about company in all Danoli ran 32 races he won 17 was second three times third six times and fourth once he was never out of the top four when he stayed on his feet. 
Now he's never out of his trainer Tom Foley's head. Yeah, definitely you'd all be thinking him. But I know myself, um, this, this top trainers that went to their lifetime and deserved a good horse and never got him. We were steeped in luck to get a horse like him. And I remember every race and I remember what way he done it and all like that. And that's the way I wanted to, to have it with him. I never wanted a horse to take his place. I'd love that one as good, but there's no horse that ever take his place. Never. That's him there now. I, I got some of the... That's some of his mane there, the hair all of his mane and that there. And that's the end of the Danoli story. A story about a horse whose spirit and passion was recognised, nurtured and sustained by a dedicated group of people who loved him dearly. Mad About Danoli on KCLR. Produced by Monica Hayes, Mad About Danoli contains horse racing commentary from BBC Sport. Made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.